Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 174. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here because today we have a special guest, Mark Dolphini. Today we're going to be talking about the concept of being time wealthy. Yes, time wealthy. Here on the podcast, the real estate way to wealth and freedom, those are two very important topics to us. So we're going to jump into and unpack this concept and framework that Mark has created. I think it's going to be really interesting. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. Mr. Mark Dolphini. Mark, hey, thanks so much for joining us. It's really great to be here. Thanks so much. Yes, absolutely. Well, Mark, before we get into our conversation today around time wealth, which I'm really excited about talking about, would you kind of take a minute, tell the audience members a little bit about yourself, your background, and just kind of your journey up to this point? My professional career started pretty much when I left my house uh, upstate New York and joined the Marine Corps. And I know that people think, well, that's not really a professional career, but actually it really is because it, it, the Marine Corps taught me a lot of things that I still use today. So I joined uh, the Marine Corps and bounced around the world for four years and then decided that uh, I wanted to get an education and uh, came out to Indiana. So this upstate New York boy went to uh, Indiana and that was uh, (laughs) Toto. This is not Kansas anymore. It was a very different place. But I really enjoy where I live in Indiana and I actually decided to call that home after I spent four years. I got a degree in accounting and minored in finance. But really my true love was really things involved in, in real estate and entrepreneurship. The reason I liked real estate is because it really allowed me to use my creativity in ways to get into real estate and manage real estate and things like that. So while I was at Purdue and I was a freshman at Purdue, I started buying real estate. And um, by the time I had graduated, I had about a half dozen units. So about a half million dollars worth of real estate. And that's really where the real fun began. Man, so many people out there right now are probably a little envious of you getting such an early start and having the foresight to be able to you know, buy those rental properties in college. I certainly know I am. I wish I would have got started as early as you, but uh, yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. So you found yourself kind of bouncing around the world for a few years, settled down in Indiana and decided you wanted to buy some real estate. So what was it exactly that clicked in your head that in this 19, 20 year old kid's head about, hey, I think I should buy this property. Usually not what's going through most 19, 20 year old, uh, you know, guys heads at that point. Right. So what exactly was it? I was actually 21 when I went into the Marine Corps. So by the time I got out, I was a little bit older. I was uh, 24, getting ready to turn 25. So I was a little bit older than the average student. But really what it was is having bounced around the world and seeing what true poverty really looks like and what true wealth really looks like. I mean, I've been in a lot of different countries where owning a real estate is not a privilege. I mean, it's not a right. It's a a privileged few. And that really made it important for me in terms of where is the largest stores of wealth. And it really was in real estate. And that's how I saw it was a really good mechanism 
mechanism for me to build. And of course, at 25, I had different goals. You know, I think I just thought that more was better and more real estate was going to be more wealth. And uh, oh, how wrong I was. <laughs> not, not from the mechanism perspective, but not that to say that real estate was a, a bad choice, but the way I was going about it was definitely not the best way because that's really where, you know, you say you're envious, but it's really where all my mistakes started. And I really accelerated my pace of making mistakes much, much faster <laughs> at that point. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, kind of talk us through some of those mistakes. And you said you were going about it in a wrong way or kind of maybe measuring things a little incorrectly. Kind of walk us through what you mean by that. At that point, I didn't quite have enough to do real estate full time. And my background was in accounting. I worked in the field of accounting for a while. I worked in banking for a while. I had a very eclectic background in business. I worked for an accounting firm. I fit in there like a square peg. That was just not a good fit for me. But I loved the work. I loved what I was learning and learning about business and learning about just industry and real estate and things like that. I mean, just everything that I possibly could learn. It was funny because at the time I had about 30 rental units altogether and my last job left me. They kept going and I, and I they, they let me off the bus. So it was kind of funny. It was the only job I've ever been fired from. And I was like, wow, I was really upset. I was like, wow, I've never, I've always been the guy that's excelled and people that wanted to be included. In, and it really was just one of God's ways of just saying, hey, this is not for you. You're not happy. This needs to happen, right? So I got fired and I, after about 15 minutes of freaking out and about a week of being mad, I figured, you know, wait a minute, hold on. I'm going to be way more than this job could ever offer me. And at that point is really where I got serious. So in the next couple of years, I went from 30 units into my peak at 92 rental units is what I had, which was about a $6 million worth of real estate. But I was making mistakes at an accelerated pace at that point. So <laughs> I, I kid with people. Sometimes people come to me as a coach and say, yeah, I kind of made this mistake. I'm like, trust me, I've made way bigger mistakes than you could possibly ever make. I, I've made a lot more mistakes than you have. <laughs> I love it. So these properties sound like you were uh, in the single family space, it sounds. Yeah, it was easy for me to um, to backfill with infrastructure as I needed. But again, that was really probably my biggest problem is I didn't have, I wasn't setting up infrastructure along the way. And that was probably my biggest error and and not setting up that infrastructure so I could replace myself either with a piece of infrastructure or, or handing that job to someone else. I just kept the jobs all for myself. So if you can imagine what it would be like managing 92 rental units by yourself, doing everything. And I was doing everything from the lease showings to the rent collections, to the banking, opening the mail, filing evictions, doing all the maintenance, doing all the cleanings and painting. And it was a disaster, especially when I got to the 90, the 92 rental units that I, at my pinnacle. I mean, it sounds great to have $65,000 a month in revenues coming in, but not when you're working 22 hour days. It just, it was absolute madness. Yeah. So now you're starting to kind of figure like, okay, with these 92 units, the income coming in is great, but the headaches and the management, and the lack of infrastructure, as you mentioned, that you didn't have at the time was just really killing you. So did something kind of switch and you started to kind of like maybe think differently about, hey, this income's great, but maybe not the end all be all if I don't have any time to do anything with it. <laughs> Well, the universe spoke loudly once again, and um, what happened was 2008 came along. So I was not only very highly leveraged in real estate, I was highly leveraged in time. One of the things that I teach is this concept that I call time value of effort. So you, everybody understands the time value of money, right? $1,000 today is worth more than $1,000 six months from now. Any Similarly, where effort today is worth more than effort six months from now. And that's where I was always going to do, you know, fill up that infrastructure, hire someone later, hire someone later. But right now I had to deal with this problem. And that's that's what happens with a lot of real estate investors is they get on the hamster wheel and they don't know how to manage it. They just react. They're always 
always in reaction mode. So in terms of this time value of effort, I liken it to interest where you have um, monetary interest and interest is always working. That's a truth in interest. If interest exists, it's working. It's The question is, is it working for you or is it working against you? I believe that the same thing is true for effort. So effort, if it exists, it's either working for you or it's working against you. And if you're doing a lot of the right things that incrementally, you know, it's kind of like doubling the penny in a jar and that time value of effort, eventually all of a sudden you get to a day where, wow, like it starts to get that spike. You, you get that spike where it goes from, it's like have just four pennies in a jar, you have a thousand pennies in a jar and then all of a sudden 2000 pennies in a jar. And I believe that that's how effort works, but effort works the opposite way too, where you're spending a lot of time on nonsensical things, even though they might be, you might perceive them to be important or whatever it is, that effort starts to work against you. And that's what exactly what happened with me is I was doing a lot of things. I was very, very busy as you can imagine, but I was spending a lot of my time doing very nonsensical things that were not driving towards building a real estate business. So around 2008, 2009, I don't know exactly the pinnacle or the nadir as I probably would say, <laughs> the, the pinnacle of suck. At the bottom, everything crashed around me. So not only was I over leveraged in money and debt, but I was over leveraged in time. I was bankrupt in time. So all of a sudden, all of these things came to fruition and I started working harder and harder and longer hours and longer days. And to the point where I actually, I almost died. I literally almost died. I got double pneumonia and I found myself in a hospital and I almost died in the hospital. So so that is when I really started to get very serious about my time wealth and how I was spending my time and what things I needed to do and make sure that I wasn't spending my time doing nonsensical activity. Yeah, it's such an interesting concept you bring up, Mark, and I really like it. I want to dig into it. So here you are realizing that like you've got all this revenue that you're generating, but you're not doing the things today that are going to make your life easier down the road with that time value of effort, right? So I really like that term you've kind of coined there. So when that switch flipped, what exactly did you start doing differently? Was it a mindset? Was it an actual, you know, in the weeds, kind of moving levers, doing things differently, processes, procedures? What exactly switched for you? That's a great question. So I would love to say that I came up with this grand thing. You know, I had this vision from the universe <laughs> and it was doves and rainbows and it doesn't happen like that. Looking back, I can carve it out into something that I refer to as the VIP paradigm. But when I was in it, it didn't really come to that way. But now I look at it and I kind of frame it as what I refer to as VIP. And that's what I teach my clients. So really quick, the basis of it is called VIP and that's vision, infrastructure, and process. So the VIP paradigm, it starts with vision. And I know that sounds a little bit hokey, but you have got to have a strong vision for your future. And that's something that I really lacked in my business originally. I just wanted more because I thought more was better. And I talk to a lot of people and a lot of times they'll say, oh, what is it you're hoping to get to? And they say something like, oh, I want a hundred rental units. And I'm like, no, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) It's not fun. (laughs) Nope. No, you don't. But, but that's a good goal, but it's a sucky vision because it doesn't ever incorporate like, wait a minute, why do you think you want 100 rental units? And they generally say, well, I want to be able to have this lifestyle. I want to be able to do these things and everything else like that. And I said, so why not 101 units then? Why not 102? The, the problem is they're confusing the number of units for what they think that can buy them in life output. So it's not about 100 units. It's about what they think that they want in their life. So a lot of times I have to work with them to get that vision very clear for them. It's their vision. It's not mine. It's really whatever it is that they want. Some people want to go into, they want to write a book, which is ironically what I did. Some people want to, they want to go into ministry. Some people want to go into community organizing things, or some people want to go into politics. I mean, whatever it is, that's their thing. But 
that's where you start to get really clear on vision. And that's really where I lacked. And a lot of people, they start to question themselves when they don't have a lack of a vision. So the problem with real estate, as you know, it's very easy to get distracted. Yes, that's very true. Right? How many people that you run into at maybe a RIA meeting or something? And it's like, well, well, you know, what is it that you, you know, what do you keep busy with? And they'll say, oh, well, I, you know, I do some wholesaling. I do some flips. I do, you know, I have some buy and holds. I do some note selling. And you're like, and I'm kind of looking at them like, wow, that's a lot. You're all over the board. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I can't say that I wasn't that guy either. And I'm not saying that's wrong to have a multi-pronged approach, but these are people that are literally have not done a deal yet, yet they're wholesalers, they're flippers, they're doing, you know, like they're all these things. And I'm like, man, that just, I've been in this 20 years and I'm learning about those different avenues now. And man, that's just a lot. So if you want to be really, really busy at being busy, that's great. But personally, I don't think that's a, a good approach. I think it's good to be very focused in a very narrow niche. And I think that's where you need to stay at least and then get successful at that and then move on. I think if you don't have a target, you know, and again, I'm a Marine, so I have to use those sorts of analogies, but if you don't have a target, you're sure to hit it. <laughs> so if you're aiming at nothing, you're sure to hit nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, I'm sitting here thinking I've been a little guilty of having that vision of X amount of units in certain amount of time. And really I've had to go back and rethink that. Like that's not really your vision. Your vision is like, you know, the lifestyle you want to design for yourself. And how do you want to live? And who do you want to surround yourself with? And how do you want to spend your time? What do you want to do? Those are kind of like your big term visions. And then, you know, you've got to get to that point. So then I back calculate from there. What are your goals? And your goal might be, hey, to do those things, I need $200,000 a year in passive income. So back calculate from there and there and there. And then you wind up with this boiled down, let's say that's 92 rental properties, right? So that's kind of like the stepping stone to get to your vision. And that's how I see it. Is that kind of how you kind of coach? And is that what you see the whole grand? And scheme of things? It is. This is hard to do by yourself. It's very, very difficult to do <laughs> by yourself. It really, really is. And I'm not saying that you need me as a coach, but they need someone to hold them accountable. And that's not going to be afraid to hold them accountable. So if you have someone like that, that, you, that can do that and say, Hey, this is what I need you to help me do is help me form my vision. Let me differentiate real quick in terms of a vision and a goal, because they, they do Please, sound the yes. same. So Martin Luther King did not stand up in front of thousands and say, I have a goal. <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> he had a dream. He had a vision. He had, and he was absolutely phenomenal at conveying that. Now, did he have intermediate goals along the way to get to his vision? Yes. That's the difference. So a vision should literally give you goosebumps. It should literally terrify you to say, if I don't get up out of bed at four o'clock tomorrow morning, I'm not going to get to my vision. It should excite you. It's a reason you should get out of bed at three in the morning on a rainy Sunday. That's how your vision should be. It should be something that is absolutely absolutely guttural. And it could be a vision that maybe is just two weeks out. Maybe it's two months out or two years out. I don't like to go too far out on vision because there's sometimes people can get a little, it can change a lot. But once you can get that written down and you can own it and you can say, and, and shorter term visions are a little bit easier for some people, especially in the beginning, but you can have a vision for what vacation is going to look like. And, you know, say, Hey, I want to go on vacation next month. Okay. What's that vision going to look like? What's it, what's it going to be? Right? Like what do you have to do to get there? It could be as simple as that, or it could be a vision of some, saying something, I want to start a non profit that digs wells in Kenya. Boom. Like that is amazing stuff that, that we as real estate investors, I rarely met a real estate investor that at the end of the day, no matter how self-aggrandizing they sound, doesn't have a larger scheme for their community, doesn't have a larger vision for what they want to contribute in their world, whatever their world looks like. That's why I say, that's why you have to be rock solid with your vision. Yeah. Well, I got to snap out of it and stop self-reflecting here. And remember I'm interviewing you here. So <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking like, yeah, no, you're right. You know, so what are my visions? Just making sure I've got these kind of frameworks in mind, but yeah. 
yeah, you're very onto something there. So in this VIP, we've got E as in vision, I as an in infrastructure. So what's the infrastructure component of this? Right. So the reason we start with vision is because the next piece is going to be infrastructure. And when you set up infrastructure for a business, and again, the business, I want you to treat your business as a vessel. It's like a canoe. So if your vision is to get downriver and you have a canoe, right, as, a, as the vessel, and that's your infrastructure, then well, a canoe is a good vessel to get downriver. If your vision is to get to the top of a mountain, I suppose you could drag a canoe to the top of a mountain, <laughs> right? be sucky, but it's not very efficient, certainly not very effective and not very enjoyable. So those three E's, it classifies none of those three E's, but the three E's is efficient, effective, and enjoyable. So if I can get you to say, okay, well, I want to choose to set up an infrastructure that's in alignment with that vision. So let's say for argument's sake that your vision two years from now is to say, I want to spend a month laying on a beach in Spain. Mm-hmm. Okay, great vision, right? Nothing wrong with that. That's great. You want to go lay, lay on a beach in Spain for a month. Well, if we design an infrastructure that requires you to return emails and phone calls in a timely manner, it's not going to be very efficient, effective, or enjoyable for you if you're laying on a beach in Spain. Yeah, sure. Okay. So we want to, and now mind you, that might be a long-term vision. It might have to put intermediate goals in between there to say, well, I can't set up all the infrastructure I want right now because it's going to be too expensive, but you can put little pieces of infrastructure in place. So when the next step comes along, it's going to be one of those things where you can say, oh, okay, yeah, this is towards my vision. This is exactly why you need to have that vision in place. It's just like when you have that that rock solid vision. It's like when your friend buys a new blue car of a certain brand, all of a sudden you see that blue car everywhere. You're like, Oh, Oh wait, is that Tommy? Oh wait, Nope. Is that Tommy? Nope. You know I mean? Yeah, right. Right. It's everywhere, right? So yeah. when you have that vision in place, all of a sudden you start to put that infrastructure in place because you constantly have that vision in mind. Yeah. I love it. So we've got vision infrastructure, last part, process. So now what's the process part of this? Right. So if I want you to think about this for just a second, so let's pretend that vision is your map. Infrastructure would be your train tracks. Okay. That's the bedrock. That's the, what you're setting on. So infrastructure would be things like your website, your office, if you want one, your desks, your chairs, your computers, this, it's the bones of your business. So that's like, so if you think of the vision as your map, so you want to set up, you want to put a train, you want to build a train tracks between New York and California. That's your map. Vision's your map. Infrastructure is the train tracks. And then process would be the train. The process would be the train itself. So that's the how you do things. It's your SOP. It's your FAQ that you put on your website for people to call and say, hey, can I add someone to my lease, right? That wouldn't be something necessarily you put in your lease. That would be something that you might put on an SOP or an FAQ. The process could be the lease itself, right? It's the how you do things. It's it's how you're making sure. So the, the process will run on the infrastructure tracks that stays in alignment with your vision. Yeah, okay, great. So we've got vision, infrastructure process, thinking about that as the map analogy. I think that's really cool and simple to kind of comprehend. And yeah, I think you're so right there. You've got to have starting off with this vision, right? If you don't have a vision, then like you said, you can aim wherever and you'll hit whatever you're aiming at. So really like that. Of course, you need the infrastructure. You've got to have the right vehicle to get to that vision. And then ultimately the process. So this three-step process doesn't sound that complicated in theory or on paper at a high level, but so many people getting started out never figure out any of those three things. So what are some things people do wrong or where do people go wrong? Is it just that they don't have that lined out? Is it that hard to execute? What's been your experience in seeing so many coaching clients? That's a great question. The the problem is it's simple, but it's not easy. Being a landlord is simple, but not easy. And that's the problem is there's so many things to focus on, right? I mean, it, it can be a complicated business and I'm not trying to say that, oh, it's easy. I oversee 250 units and I work about two hours a week doing that. I have people now, fortunately, that help me out with that. Those are my employees and that's my under my management company. But it took a long time to get there. And, it, and I'm telling you, it still requires some input. I know a lot of people, they say, well, I'll just get to a certain number and then turn it over to a management company. And I sit and think like, 
well, how do you think that they don't have the same problems that you do? If anything, they have worse problems because now they have a whole other set of customers they have to take care of, which is you, the owners. They've got your problems and other people's problems. So yeah. That's exactly right. Again, I mean, I have a management company. It almost sounds disingenuous to say, well, don't hire a property manager. But what I would say in terms of the mistakes that people often make is they don't ever fire themselves from the individual jobs that they have. And that doesn't mean necessarily hiring a management company, but that means someone hiring some specific piece for something that they're not particularly good at or something that's outside of their skill set. And that's the problem with entrepreneurs is that most of them are very smart. Most of them can do pretty much anything and they're willing to learn anything. But a lot of times it's just not something that they should be doing. I'm a fairly intelligent guy, but I have no business at all going onto my website and messing around with things. <laughs> yeah. You're not a computer <laughs> programmer, right? You've got right. a accounting background and you're experienced in real estate, but you don't <laughs> need to be spending your day trying to figure out how to write HTML code to put some FAQs up on your website. But it doesn't stop me, right? Like, <laughs> like I, still, I still have to go and I have to stop myself and you have to be brutal on your vision and say, no, this is not the highest and best use of your time. You can hire someone at $50 an hour. If your billing rate is $100 an hour, you're costing your business $50 an hour. Let me make the math better. So let's say you're, I'm paying someone 60 bucks an hour. Your billing rate's $100 an hour. You're costing your business $40 an hour every time you do that task. That's a truth. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't necessarily need to know everything about what they're doing, but you need to understand, okay, let me see. Okay. Okay. Now I have an understanding. That's a perfect job for someone else. I have no business doing any of that stuff. So when you start calculating your per hourly rate, your per hour rate, especially for those of you out there that are doing, that are working a full-time job on the side and getting into real estate investing on the side, your hourly rate's a little easier to calculate, but when you're doing it full-time, then you say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do the painting and save myself that money. I can guarantee most of you out there did not get into rental property business so you can become a professional painter. Or save 20 bucks an hour. Exactly. That's silly because you're not going to get to your level of time wealth being paid $18 or $20 an hour that you would pay a professional painter. Not to mention, they're probably going to do it at least twice as fast as you would. Maybe you're a really good painter, but using another analogy in terms of doing the accounting, doing the bookkeeping, I promise you, you're not the best at everything. That's just the way we are wired. You are the best at something. Maybe you're really good at deal making and putting together deals but you suck at everything that follows. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. But maybe every now and again, you do have to pick up a paintbrush. That really should be a one-off. You really need to start valuing your time. And that's where I see a lot of individual investors making their biggest mistakes is they don't learn to value their free time highly enough. Yeah, I love it. Well, Mark, everything you've been coaching about and talking about, especially this concept of time wealthy, really is in alignment with exactly what we stand for here at the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast. Wealth and freedom being the two main principles, right? So you can't have one without the other. If you've got all this wealth and no freedom to spend it, then what's it worth? And then, you know, you need some freedom to, you know, enjoy your wealth. So yeah, I love that. So, you know, it's been a fun conversation just kind of unpacking all this kind of concept of time wealth and your perspective on things and how you kind of walk people through kind of developing their blueprint to achieving their vision. So been really fun. Now, as we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round. We ask every one of our guests, are you up for it? My buzzer ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Well, the very first question we've got for you is what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? The biggest hurdle was probably figuring out how the banks did their underwriting. And once I figured that out, then it was a lot easier. But that was probably one of the biggest things is trying to figure that out up front. Yeah, okay. Well, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? I'm absolutely vicious about how I spend my time. If it's not a highest and best use of my time, whether even if it's just sitting on a couch, I'm brutal about cutting the fat back on that. 
yeah. And are you using any kind of strategy like time blocking or anything like that? Or how do you kind of manage your time? Uh, batching. So batching is a big thing for me. So a lot of times, I mean, I tell people if it's not urgent, you can email me, but usually I don't respond to my emails very timely because I don't do them very often. I do them about once or twice a week, depending on where my schedule is. But that's one of the worst things. I, I might scan my emails just to make sure nothing's really needing a lot of uh, effort or needing attention at that moment in time. But uh, a lot of times I batch my emails. I do them about once, maybe once or twice a week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That concept gives me a little anxiety just thinking of it, but maybe it's something I'll have to try to <laughs> test out in my own life. Well, Mark, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day-to-day? Yeah. One of the things that I do, because I'm, I'm an avid networker and, and I really enjoy staying in contact with people and helping them however I can help them. And one of the pieces of software I really like to use is something called Contactually. For you people who are avid networkers out there, I'm a BNI area director, so I, I meet a lot of people and I really love people. Um, one of the things that's really helped me is, is a software piece called Contactually. And you can put people in, in different buckets and, and stay in touch with them. That is a really great way to, to expand your network and be very intentional about when you're when and how often you're staying in touch with people. Oh, great. So it's kind of like a CRM tool. It's not really sales driven, but is a contact manager. Yeah, if you okay. will. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep, yeah. exactly. All right. Really cool. Well, Mark, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? I get asked this a lot and, and, and it changes, I think, based on the day. <laughs> yeah, well, you read different books, right? I do. I read a lot of different books, but one that I always go back to is Think and Grow Rich I, by Napoleon Hill. Is it one of those foundational books that really just resonated with me early on? I picked up that book probably about 15 different times and I never got through it. And then one time I actually picked it up and I read it cover to cover and I, it was because I was ready for it. So it's a fantastic book and one that I recommend to people who are very serious about taking their business to the next level. Yeah, sure. That's Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, a classic. If you haven't read it, please do so. Go pick it up. We'll drop that book in the show notes if you're interested in that. Mark, last question in the lightning round. If you were to give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, which you almost did, what would that advice be? Value your time more. Learn to value your time earlier. Just because you're young, a lot, and especially younger people, they, t- they seem to think that time is abundant. Not every day is promised. Don't spend your life thinking that you're going to get the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Take that time now. Make sure that you're spending it very intentionally, being around people that you enjoy, doing the things that you enjoy, and make sure you value your time, especially your free time as much as you possibly can. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Well, Mark, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you and just kind of understanding and talking about this time wealth concept. So you've actually written a book called The Time Wealthy Investor and also The Judge. So kind of tell us a little bit about those books and then uh, just tell us a little bit about where the audience members can find you, learn more about you and a little bit about what you do. Yeah. Well, The Time Wealthy Investor, I published that book in the summer of 2017. I wrote it in 2016. And it took forever to, you know, for me to carve it all out into an actual book that was readable. But I published that in 2017. And um, after I had coached several clients, I realized that I needed to rewrite it uh, more towards the VIP paradigm. So I'm getting ready to release The Time Wealthy Investor 2.0. So if your listeners are interested, I would just say I'm, I'm looking at probably the first week of the year. So if you can be a little bit of patient, I'm going to be post, I'm going to be publishing it then. I'm just wrapping up the uh, final endorsements from different authors. So once that's done, I will publish that. And that will be available on Amazon. And I'll also post a link on my website. But The Judge was a book that was really, it's written as a fable. And it's written towards those people who are currently working a job. This is a story. It's just written as a story. It's a fun story. It could be read in probably maybe a flight for a real good bathroom session, I suppose. But uh, it's only like 80 something pages. And, and basically, it's a story about a guy who's a landlord. He's also working a full-time job as a mid-level manager. But 
thinks he's got it all figured out, but he really doesn't. And there's several valuable lessons that he learns along the way. So um, it's a fun read. I've had a lot of good feedback on it, but um, I, I am avail- I'm giving that away as a free download to your listeners today. Perfect. Now, where can they find that at? They can go to landlordcoach.com forward slash the way. All right, great. So that's www.thelandlordcoach. Or is it, it's not the landlord coach, it's landlord coach. It's landlord coach. Yeah, it's just simply landlordcoach.com forward slash the way. All right, great. Awesome. Well, Mark, where else can our audience members learn more about you, connect with you, find you, look you up? Where's the best place to do that? I'm on Facebook. You're welcome to reach out to me there. Um, I'm also, if you look me up under Landlord Coach there, I post some stuff. I've got some videos on YouTube. Some are serious. Some shouldn't be seen by anybody. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just try not to take myself too seriously because so many people do in this industry. I like to have a lot of fun. And if there's any listeners out there who'd like to connect with me out on social media, I love it. I try to reach out to everybody individually if they reach out to me. So uh, please reach out, say hello, tell them, let me know where you. Yeah, definitely. Well, Mark, hey, first off, thanks so much for giving us that free download to the Judge book. For the audience members that haven't listened to that or read that, rather, go download it there at landlordcoach.com slash the way. Mark, hey, thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show. Look forward to having you back on in the future. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And um, everybody, seriously, make sure you're valuing your time wealth, especially now we're, we're heading into the new year. And, and uh, this is the time where you set those parameters for yourself. So keep your foot on the gas, everybody. Love it. Thanks so much, Mark. My pleasure. Bye. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Mark Dolphini. Well, hey, I hope you got great actionable content from today's show. If you want to follow up with any of those resources mentioned in the show, and especially that free download for the Judge book, feel free to find those links in the show notes pages. For more information, resources, and to connect with me, as always, you can do so at the website www.jacobairs.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom LLC exclusively.